uh, song that we sang first, or that was on the screen, thank you for that reading, Mark. Very appropriate scripture. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. But that song said this. When I sit at your table, I am where I belong. In the doorway of my father's house, I am home. Now think about it. When I sit at God's table, I am where I belong. And that was in the mind of God for every Christian. Before you ever were a thought on the face of the earth to mom, dad, grandparents, anybody else. You would sit at God's table. One of the greatest events still future is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Mark, you remember Dr. Bowman would uh, talk about the marriage supper? And he'd get excited about the, about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, he was a comedian. He taught at Piedmont for 100 years. He came to Piedmont same year I did, 1965, and was still teaching when Mark and uh, Pastor Jeremy were there. I wonder, I thought the other day, how many students has he touched? How many people's lives did that man touch? Just thousands of them. And many of them are pastors today. But the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. It's not yet. And when we sit at the Lord's table, I thought this thought also. I'm not where I belong. I don't belong at the Lord's table, Lord's supper. But by His grace, His love, His mercy, His choices, I didn't choose Him. He chose me and enabled me to one day sit at His table. That's a humbling thought to me. Well, I want to bring a message this morning. Actually, it's a continuation from one I preached several weeks back. Uh, on money, giving. Uh, if you've got your outlines, everybody got an outline, you can follow me with the outline. Uh, I plan to stick with the outline. But right up top, you see this title. It's a long title. Old Testament principle. God said, do it. We don't live in Old Testament time. New Testament practice, God said, love me, and you want to do it. Isn't that a 180-degree switch from God said, do it, and now you and I live in the age of grace, church age, and says, if you love me, you want to do it. So my topic is money. Uh, the contributions that you make to your local church, Community Baptist Church. I want to talk about uh, money management this morning. I want to talk about some governing principles that determine which runs out first, the month or the money. And that's a bad time when the money runs out before the month. That's not God's plan. Now let me say this, the message I'm going to bring. I've had this message on my heart and on my mind since I preached Malachi chapter 3. It's been just stewing, stewing. Jimmy Carr says I'm long-winded. Okay, if I am, please excuse me. But academically, now catch that word academic. Academically, I've had this message turn over and over and over and over for weeks. But I got up this morning, and my whole introduction to this message came. God said, why are you, you, you going to preach this message? And he told me, in my own heart and my own mind, it is for the sake of my children. God's people. Because this is a part of Christian living. It's a part of God's plan. 
Just like every aspect of God's plan for your life is, uh, is, is written in the Scriptures and is to be lived out in shoe leather. And so this is just a part. And so my, my thoughts were, Dean, academically, you've got this thing down. But you know, too many sermons are preached with academics. Pastor's heart, a trained pastor can prepare sermons. We were taught how to prepare sermons. But sometimes we get into a, I guess no better word, just into a funk that we're wrote. And we, we find ourselves so I've been anxious to preach this message, but uh, God said today, be careful how you preach it. So, I want us to understand that uh, Paul gives us some guiding principles. Not about giving, he gives us some principles, we go look at those principles about giving, yes. But he gives us some guiding principles that must be practiced before we practice the principles of how to support our families, how to support our church, and, and, and our expenditures as to how we go about these things. Listen to Colossians chapter 3 and, and verse 17. Paul said this, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Think about that text. Whatever you do, you high schoolers, when you go to school, that's part of your responsibility. You people who hold jobs, farmers, retired folks, Whatever you do, you do it in word, spoken, or action, deed. You do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus. With thanksgiving. Giving thanks. And then he adds this phrase to the end of that. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Listen to the guiding principle of the Lord Jesus about your life before anything else matters. About who you're going to date, young people. About who you're going to marry. Young folk, moms, dads, us adults. What did Jesus have to say about the first thing, the first principle of life and is found in uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Sermon on the Mount. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's a good study, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's going to be the rule of the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's, that's a sermon for the Jewish nation. It will be a sermon for all people. And whatever you do, do it as Paul said. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. Money, yes, that's part of it. So I cannot apologize. They're not apologize because... God wants completed in me, first and foremost, and in you, all that He purposes. So, a hard and a fast rule that will either incarcerate you or will set you free is this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, where the apostle writes, speaking of God, he has made us competent ministers 
of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's the NIV rendering of that. Catch that. God has made us competent. You can do it. I can do it. If I don't do it, it's my fault. If you don't do it, it's your fault. What has he made us ministers of? He's made us ministers of a new covenant. We don't live under the old covenant. The old covenant is law. The letter kills, he says. We live under the new covenant. The Spirit gives life. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, something happened to you, happened to me, I didn't even know it. Praise the Lord, I found out about it. The Holy Spirit moved in. And He moved in for a purpose. He moved in to help complete what God had started through Christ Jesus, my salvation. So keep this in mind. The letter kill. Romans chapter 7. Paul says, I was alive until the letter of the law came in and I found out I was a covetous man and I died. But thank God, Jesus came in and I found deliverance. I found freedom. And the apostle Paul from a, a, a scholar of the law became a writer of the New Testament principle that we study in our scriptures and that we learn every day. The letter killed. But the law gives, the, the spirit gives life. And there is liberty in life. So Paul is making a distinction here of the Old Testament law. The Judaizers were we're just demanding the letter. And he says, the law killed. Let me just remind you, Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 8. God asked these Jews, will a man rob God? In other words, God says, you're stealing from me. You bring the tithe into the storehouse and watch me do what I'm going to do. And they had the audacity God, what are we really doing? We're really not taking from you. That was the attitude of Malachi's day. And so the letter, it brought conviction. It will bring conviction. And needlessly, uh, not needlessly, it brings conviction when we need a conviction of the heart and of the conscience and of our path that we are living. And so the New Testament, beloved, the New Testament is governed by grace, love. It, it asks us to fulfill. God still wants, He wanted His Old Testament people to fulfill what he was asking them to do, but they could not do it because they did not have what you and I have today. They were living by the letter. We have two things going for us today. We have the completed Word of God. There's no more. No more be written. It's finished. We have the Old Testament that shows us how sinful we are and what bad people we are. We have the New Testament to show us God's love for us and how He has given us everything we need in life. So Jesus established the principle of grace and love. Moses established the principle of law. Here's what Jesus has to say in establishing that. Uh, that he was asked this question. I'm, I'm looking here now at um, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. They ask, which commandment is the most important of all the commandments? Now, these are Jews who are asking this question. And now, 
they think they're going to trip Jesus up. Time and time again, they thought that, but they were foolish for such thinking. Which of these commandments is the most important of all? Jesus replied, this is the most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So what's the greatest commandment? And it was written, he was actually quoting Deuteronomy. It wasn't anything new. They just did not have the capacity to see that and to come to grips with what God wanted. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he said, the second's likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So Old Testament tithing. Old Testament tithing was governed by the law and to be rigidly practiced. It, if not, Old Testament saints were robbing God. That's the law. New Testament giving, catch this, is governed by grace. Governed by grace and is practiced by how much you love God. Practiced by love. So how important, how important are church finances, your Christian giving, how important is it to the pastor? To a pastor, not just Jeremy or myself or anybody else. To all of us, to the church, how important is it? I want to emphasize, though, right now, the pastor. I've got two testimonies here. I'll read. Pastor number one, he writes, God makes the pastor CEO of the church. He leads in every aspect of church life. Shepherding involves, first, the spiritual. Second, care for the sheep working closely with the deacons, and also involves the finances. He can teach and preach every principle the Bible teaches in every aspect of church life, but he cannot force his flock to do the work of the ministry. That comes from being a converted person, converted willing heart, to first please God, and then his or her church. Pastor is, has a position ordained by God, spelled out in church polity, scripture-wise, as a CEO of the church. Now, second testimony of a pastor. This is a pastor of, a tes of the testimony of one who is uh, in Sioux City as such. And he says, But as a pastor, it is always at the top of my list. Sioux City does not uh, exactly have a thriving economy, and it has been several years since my church had to wonder what to do with the extra money we had left over after all our bills were paid. Every Sunday... Just before I go home for lunch, I sneak a peek at our offering report to see if we get to keep the ship afloat for one more week. God's been good, and He's provided faithfully for us, but money always is always a concern. Would that it was not. But consideration of money and giving are never far from the front of the mind of this minute. And so, two testimonies here. I'm going to bring the message from two tracks this morning. One, I'm going to bring a message on principle. And secondly, I'm going to 
speak to you on the practice of supporting your church. Your outline before you. Guiding principles by which to practice New Testament giving. I learned a long time ago that a preacher has uh, actually six friends when he's preparing sermons. And these friends are these words. When, where, what, why, who, and how. You know, that's, that's a good method for studying Scripture. Ask those questions. You employ those questions. And you will be shocked at how the Scriptures might just open up to you because God answers questions. So let's look at uh, the first five of these. Open your Bibles with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. These are the principles that God has given us in the New Testament to be faithful to Him. Why? Because He has given us abundant grace and we love Him. Those are the first that we want to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Here the scripture says, For concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come... Whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the reading of Scripture. I ask that uh, we may, because we love God, because we live in the age of grace. Thank you, Lord, I didn't live in the Old Testament. I could never, would never have even paid attention to the law. But Jesus' love for me and your grace that you've given me, it caught my attention. It caught my attention when I was a sinner in need of a Savior. It caught my attention by the Spirit of God who says, if you don't trust Christ, you won't go to heaven. And I thank you, Father, that the same Spirit that wooed me to Christ is the same Spirit that wooed every believer here in this congregation to Christ. The same Spirit that has worked in my life and changed me from what I was. And I'm still not what I ought to be. But by the Word of God, the love of God, and the Spirit of God, I have learned some things. And so I pray that as we look at some principles here about giving, that the Spirit of God will show us these principles, and then when we get to the practice, the how to do it, God help us. Help us leave here with a love for you. So, first Question, where do you give? Where, do you, where does your money go? Speaking of God's money, God, let me say this, God has two establishments primarily on the face of the earth today. One is your family. You're responsible for what goes on in your family. Father's the head of the family. Wives supporting the father. and him listening to her when she is making good decisions. So the family is very important. The other institution is the church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. I will build my church. And it's, it belongs to him. 
is his church. So you have responsibility, major responsibility in two areas when it comes to your finances. You make sure, what did Paul write? Uh, help me with this. Uh, a, a man uh, is that will not support his family, will not provide for his family, is worse than an infidel, a non-believer. God's interested in your home. He's interested in your church. And I would trust that you would uh, have the same interest in both areas. So where do you give? You give to the local church. Look what Paul wrote. I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. So you must do also. What were those orders? There was a collection that was being taken. Poverty. Poverty reigned in Jerusalem. Persecution was rampant. It was not a good day to be a Jew in Jerusalem. And they were, they didn't, they couldn't get jobs, they didn't get money. And so Paul had a burden for his people, for the people of Jerusalem. He one time had been there as a Pharisee, but no longer. He now had a heart for the for the believers. And so he says, I've given orders to the churches of Galatia. That would include Thessalonica, Philippi, Philippians, the Colossians, the Colossi church, those churches. And so he singles out, he's giving the same order to the local church in Corinth. I've, talked, I've given them instructions that on the, uh, where you give, you give to the local church first. I'll clarify some of that as I get further into this. The first money given to God is the local church. Catch that. Here's an illustration. I heard it a long time ago. Try this. Some of you may go to the sandpiper and eat lunch. If you do, you'll get a good meal. You'll enjoy the meal. But when it's time to pay the bill, go to that lady that stands there. Just take your little check over there and tell her, said, you know, I really enjoyed this meal today. But I like those people down at uh, Murray's better than I do you people. You, you got good food. But I'm going to take this bill and I'm going to go down to Murray's and I'm going to pay the bill down there. You find out what happens. Don't try it, okay? Don't try that. There'll be a manager come out, there'll be a phone call, and there'll be sheriff's department. That'll show up pretty quick. It doesn't work that way, does it? So the local church is God's institution. The church is God's institution. The local church is God's place for support. Paul was coming to Corinth, and they were collecting money in their church. The money was to go to take care of the needs of the people, poor people in Jerusalem. So where is the where do you give? You give the first fruits of your money to the church. Now when do you give? That's the next question. You give on Sunday. You notice the text? He says on the first day of the week. First day of the week. You do it. Uh there's something different here in this aspect. You know, God's people, uh, they don't just give when they feel like it. They give regularly. That's the idea. Consistency is the idea on the first day of the week. But there's a different culture than Paul's day when he was writing to the church at Corinth and our culture. And that culture is this. Their culture if they didn't get paid by the end of the day, they might not eat that night. And so the principle was consistently, you make sure 
that you are properly handling your money. And the principle carries over to when you give, that you give regularly. You give consistently. Our days differ. <laughs> I get a social, social security check. All right? And therefore, I write one check a month. Don't write a check every Sunday. So don't be wrote literal in this, but make sure that you're giving, you're giving to the church, you're doing it consistently. Now, here's a third principle. Who does the giving? Simple, people with an income. People who have money coming in, individuals, families. And so the scripture here says, each one of you lay something aside. Look at the text. Each one of you lay something aside. So that has the idea of purpose. You purpose to do it. If you don't purpose to do it, you won't do it. I maintain that uh, this biblical principle is that everyone gives. Everybody. God's love and grace is extended to everyone. You know something I miss? I don't know whether you do or not, but I do. I miss the offering plates being passed through the pew. You know what I like? Why? One reason I miss it, I love to see those little guys sitting next to Daddy, and they're punching him. He gets, gets his ribs bruised every Sunday, and I, I, I just love to see him. Drop a dime or a dollar. Daddy has to do it. That's good training. That's all right what we do back there. But I miss the offering play. Going through everybody gives. How many of you remember your children sitting next to you? I don't. I don't remember that because I was always in the pulpit. I reckon Bobby had to dig deep when it came to, to that aspect of it. But whatever it was, they were excited. Here's a note from Barnes, Barnes Notes. <clears throat> Let every one of you, that's the idea of who does the giving. Let every one of you, let the collection be universal. Let each one esteem it his duty and his privilege to give to this object. It was not to be confined to the rich only, but was duty of the common man as well. The poor as well as the rich were expected to contribute according to their ability. So who does the giving? Everybody. Rich. Poor. Because what's the driving motive? Love for God. That's the driving motive. It's not the pastor of the church, nor the deacons of the church, nor the Sunday school teachers, nor none of the principles of the church. It's for the love of God that we can give. And I'll, I'll come back to this in a little while. Now, what do you give? That's a good question. What do you give? Okay, here comes tithing. Now, no, it's not. The Bible nowhere talks about tithing in the New Testament as a, it mentions tithing in the Gospels. Book of Hebrews uses the word, but as far as a practice, it does not use that word. Because in your mind, what is tithing? Ten. Ten. But it's a good place to start, and I'll come back to that in a moment. It depends. You give according to how God has prospered you. You give from principle and not merely under the impulse or the duress of feeling. Here's what the scripture says. Storing up as he may prosper. Storing up as you may prosper. 
as God has prospered you. Uh, no required amount or percentages are given, spoken of in the New Testament. All giving is to be discretionary and by free will. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, He said, give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So you give as God has prospered you. Now, what's the last? Why do you give? And that's where I've been in some of this throughout. You give that there be no collection when I come. Paul said, I'm coming by, you poke it for it. And I can be pretty snappy if I'm, if I'm necessary. When you said you were going to do this, talking to the Christians at Corinth, therefore when I come, let it be finished, let it be done. Uh, to share the load, that's why we give. We share the load of, of mutual love, first of all. Love for God, love for His church. So it's a mutual load that every one of us has when it comes to the principle of giving. Now, let's move to the governing practices by which Christians regulate New Testament giving. How is it regulated? Well, this is the answer to the number six question, how? So I've taken 1 Corinthians 16 and I've laid the principles out that Paul is speaking of here. Now we see the practice, if you go forward a few pages in chapters 8 and 9, and I don't have time to go, I don't have time to go into all of those principles that we find here, but we find the how-to right here, and I'm going to be as brief as I can. If you're over in chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading here with verse 1. The example of the early church. We follow their example. And so, Scripture says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. See that? We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction they were persecuted. The abundance of their joy, they did it with joy, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were poor people in these churches that Paul is writing to. He says, verse 3, I bear witness, now catch this, according to their ability. Did you put that back in the principle? As they were prospered? He says, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. In other words, it was something they wanted to do. These are the poor Old Testament, excuse me, New Testament saints. They wanted to do it. Verse 4, imploring, catch that word. They were going to be disappointed if they weren't able to contribute. Wow. Think about that imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Catch that. They were not wasting money. They were not frivolous. They were giving to the saints. And by the way, sometimes be careful who you give money to. You catch a guy coming out of the grocery store and says, I need some money to buy my children some food. 
people turn him around, walk in with him, and say, let's go grocery shopping. That's the best way to handle that. Let's go grocery shopping. Heard this story some time ago. Maybe Benji told it to you before, but if old people, just bear with me. Uh, famous pastor flew into some church in New England, and uh, the pastor picked him up at the airport, and they were walking out of the airport, and this guy comes up to the pastors and taps him on the shoulder and said, listen, I need, I need such and such for my, for my child. That guest lecturer who was there, he pulled out a $5 bill and gave it to him. They continue walking on out of the airport. And uh, he said, well, I don't understand that. But he gave it to him with these words. He says, if you're going to use this $5 to be a blessing to your family, may it be a rich blessing. But if you're going to use this $5 to buy liquor with, may God curse it. The guy walked off a few steps, turned around, came back, and gave it back, $5 back to the pastor. <laughs> so if you just got to give money like that, do what that guy did. Imploring here is the word. That we would receive a gift, of the gift of fellowship that the church is supposed to have of the ministering to the saints. Verse 5, And not only as we had hope, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all as unto the Lord and not unto man, knowing that of the Lord you will receive the reward. So every time you write a check, money in that plate back there you're not giving it to the pastor pastor deacon you're giving it to God because you love God keep that in okay keep it in mind where am I verse 6 so Paul continues writing we urge Titus that as he had begun so he also would complete this grace in you as well. So Paul tells this church in his writing, I sent Titus. Titus was supposed to teach you the principles of giving. Grace giving. What you were taught to do, he says, to complete this grace in you. People have to be taught to give. I say this, said it all my ministry, the last thing that an individual or a couple will give God is this. That's the last thing you get. You'll give him time. You'll give him talent. But this is the last thing that he gets. And it's natural. Hey, I struggle, and I'll tell you about that shortly. See that you abound. Let me let me verse seven. But as you abound in everything, they abounded in faith, their preaching was good, speech, they had knowledge. In all diligence, their hands were busy about the Lord's work. And in your love for us, the admonition is, see that you abound in this grace also. The word abound. Study it sometimes. Abound in this grace of giving. See that you abound in this also. Verse 8. Now here, Paul says, I'm not speaking by commandment. And I'm not speaking by command. Paul wasn't demanding this of these poor Christians. They were doing it out of the joy of their heart. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing. 
This sermon can be a test to you. And if so, beloved, I don't apologize. I don't. Because I first said, love God. And I'm going to say it over again and again before I finish this message. Love God. That's where it comes from. He says, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others is that other people are doing it. For you know, and I love this verse, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Why did he become poor? He who owned heaven. As we say, the cattle on the thousand hills, the hills as well. Why did he become poor? So you can be rich. No, not in money. But listen to me. If you know Christ, you are rich in eternal life. The things of God. Nobody can give those to you but him, and it cost him. He gave it all up so you and I can live the good life. And beloved, we're living the good life. So, that's the example of the first church. Now, let's go to chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And here's some more principles. Verse 6, Paul says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, the name it, claim it crowd have really taken advantage of it. Okay. They're interested in their pockets. They're false prophets. They're false teachers. They drive and fly in their $85 million jets. They have taken advantage of this. And when I hear some of them, sometimes I say, I pity you, poor man. Hell's going to be hot for you. This is not what we get, name it and claim it, though they misinterpret it. Let each one purpose in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity, verse 7. For God loves a cheerful gift. If you understand that everything you have, and I'm not looking at any rich people in this congregation. None of them. He says you give according as God has spoken. Talk about that in a moment. Here, you ought to, if you can see it, imagine it. When you walk past that plate back there, laugh and throw that envelope in. That's cheerful, I guess. I don't know. Why'd I say that? I don't know. Sometimes you just lose words, you lose your space, you lose your thinking, and you, you got to fill space. God loves. God loves it. God loves it. When you say, praise you, Lord. You bless me. I can give it back to you cheerfully. Okay? And that's how we are to do it. Number eight. And God is able to make all, there's that word grace again. God's able to make all grace abound toward you. You go to be rich if you give? No. No, no, no. You're going to give proportionately as God has given to you with a brain in your head that what you have is yours to begin with and I'm still going to go to that in a moment. Now, what, what, what do you do? God is able to make all grace 
abound toward you that you always, now watch this, you'll always having, you'll all, having all sufficiency. You'll be able to do it. Scare you to death sometimes, but you'll be able to do it. In all things, may have the, uh, an abundance for every good work. So think about it. God is number one in how you give. You follow the example of the early church. Churches of Galatia. Follow their example. They were poor. You think you're poor? No. You don't know what poor was. So those, you walked in those Christian shoes. Now, you give as a demonstration of how much you love God. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 8. He says, I am testing the sincerity of your love. So how much do you love God? It's a test of your sincerity. What's deep inside of you, in your heart, and what you have? Do you love God? And you give as a token of grace that God has bestowed upon you, as we looked at in the text. You don't give to get. You give because you love God. It's not because you love the pastor. It's because you love God. You give. That's the whole motive behind New Testament principle. And I was thinking of this as this thought came to me. We love God because He first loved us. James has been teaching that in the book of First John. We love Him because He first loved us. I wasn't looking after, I wasn't looking for God in my life. He looked at me one day and said, you got a miserable existence. Your conscience bothers you all the time. You do what you know you shouldn't do. Your conscience tells you not to do. And he said, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to change you. And beloved, he has done that very thing. One of my wife's favorite passages was Philippians 1.6. He who hath begun a good, a good work in you will what? Will perform. He who started a work in your heart, your life, he's going to perform it. I guess that's why some of us live to be old age. You still working on me to make me what I ought to be? What's that song? Camp song. We used to sing it all the time. So, you give because you love God. I learned only to give after I'd given my life to Christ. Surrendered for the mission. I was first and killed. I've told, I've told you before. I took a wife and two children and brought three home from, brought three out of Piedmont. Wife and two children. I was on a five-year program, 164 semesters that we had to complete to get the THB. They changed all that. I fell in love with the Lord in a new church plant in Blackville, South Carolina. We we met in a in a house, an old house. I went into that house, started at the top and tore a chimney all the way out down to the floor just so we could make it square looking. I fell in love with the Lord. 
I started giving what I should be giving. And I was making pretty good money at that time. But God said, hey, uh, you're going you're gonna to pass. I went to Bible college with the four of them. And uh, $400 first semester, place to live. I couldn't get a job. Our plan was Bobby was going to get her T-A-T. Put hubby through. <laughs> All right? But I had two kids that would not stay in a nursery, nobody's house, nowhere else. Bobby had a job. She says, if that crying every day, eight hours, while she was at work, pick them up and come home. And their little faces and eyes were swollen. And Bobby said, you know, if God wanted me to work, he'd make these kids happy. She had a way of saying things like that. So she, she worked about two weeks and quit. That put us depending on God. I couldn't get a job that first. McLean Trucking Company was the good job. Hustling freight. Found out they were hiring. I went out. They were going to hire 12 men. Part-timers, not full-time. Part-time. And uh, went through the Spiel and the interview. I don't know how many men were there, probably 25 or 30, all of them students, either Wake Forest or Piedmont or other schools. And Red Sapp said he named the 12 that he was going to hire. And he didn't call me. Everybody left. I stayed. And I went to Red Sapp and I said, Red, I got to have a job or I'm going home. I can't continue in school. He said, you'll be here tonight at uh, 11 o'clock. <laughs> so I went to work that night for the next four and a half years. Four and a half years. I hustled freight. When I, every, my, my home church sent me $15 a month I sent more back to them. I sent them 10% of everything I made. And you've heard me say this. When I graduated from Piedmont, Piedmont owed me $44. I hear Jeremy, I wish that was my experience. God provided. My younger brother, and I gave our life to the Christ, commitment to the Lordship of Christ, the same time, this new church plan. He married. One child at that time, I think. And his job moved him from Lakeville to North Augusta, South Carolina. You got Augusta and North Augusta. North Augusta's on the south side of the river. And uh, loved the Lord, made the commitment. They were having a building program at that church that he joined. They were building a life action center. He was like myself. He didn't have anything. But God impressed upon his heart now listen to this. This is unheard of. They were having a campaign, raising money for that building. God impressed upon his heart to borrow money, to give to that campaign. That was the starting of something in Pat. He went into his own business. Very successful business. He has the gift of giving. I have the gift of breaking. 
I have to buy something new that I borrowed from somebody. Quickly on this part of the story. He felt God call him to preach it one time. And I just kind of backed up and snickered. I said, let me see you give now like you used to. He pastored for seven years and continued back in his business. Now listen, I don't say this to brag nor boast. God knows my heart. He and I were chatting the other day. This downturn that you are experiencing, this inflation that you has hit you and has hit me in what your investments are, he says, my investor called me the other day and said, "My, now this is on paper, your investments are down $400,000. That means there's something up top that's still there. I don't know what it's worth. But he learned to give. And he told me, he said, that was the best lesson I ever learned was I was burdened for that building and I borrowed money. I learned then that God's work is so important. So in conclusion, you like that word? We're not Old Testament people. We're New Testament people. Old Testament tithing was demanded or you were robbing God. New Testament, New Testament giving is generated by grace, governed by your love for God with a promise, Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all of your need according to His glory in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. He said He's going to take care of you won't. But my God will supply all your needs. Maybe your wants are bigger than your needs, and that's a spiritual thing too. He'll supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I said I'd come back to it. Let me come back now. Everybody gives, and everybody has a starting. No problem in the Old Testament. And by the way, Old Testament tithing equaled 23%. They had to do it three times a year. And they gave animal crops and that kind of thing. But here's a, here's a principle that I learned. And it works for me. I'm not telling you to do it. But I like the 10-10-80 principle. That's just a starting point. That's for me. 10% to God. 10% to me. God wants me and you to take care of ourselves. He doesn't want us beggars on the street when we're old. 10% invest. Invest 10% of your income for yourself. If you've got a 401k, involved in it. Not find a John Coulter, he'll be glad to talk to you, okay, and help you out. Pay God, pay yourself, and believe me, I'm glad I did. At the age of 41, my brother's investments was 400000 Mine was only 15000 on paper. And that doesn't mean there's a lot at the top. There's not much there. But I believe God wants us to use our head. 10, 10, 80. Buy your house. Have good transportation. Put good groceries on the table. Keep those young'uns clothed. And that's a hard thing to do. Keep them clothed. And you know, whoa, let me go back. Love God first, okay? Love God first. So, everybody can participate. One more text, and that's uh, Mark chapter 12. I won't read it. Jesus was observing something, he was watching. Money, they were putting money in the box. 
And these long-robed Pharisees, they came by and they said, Riches! They put money in the box. Here comes this poor little widow. She drops in two copper coins. Two copper coins. And Jesus said, looked at his disciples and said, She gave more. She gave more than anybody gave in that day. In that gave all she had. So I, I see this as a principle everybody can give. Every. I'm asking for a commitment. It's on your outline. Commitment is love God completely and give your life fully over to the Lordship of Christ who forgave you your sins, redeemed you, and he's waiting on you to get to heaven. You know, I get, I, I get emotional at times when I think about my wife. I'm going to make a statement. I hope you understand it. I think about it every day of my life. The question is, would I have her back in perfect health? Would I have her back in perfect health? My answer is no. Why would I want her to have to leave Jesus' feet and come back to this center? I'm going there. It would be selfish of me. I want her back. So you love God. Number two, you pray. I'm asking you to pray. You pray earnestly for yourself. Pray for this ministry. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the people as to what God would have you to do in contributing to the life and the outreach of this church. And if you can only give 3%, and that's what God's satisfied with, give 3%. You hear me? If that's all, but make sure. Make sure. That's all you can give. God will honor that. And number three, support the church with the first gift. I like, I like being able to give to missions. I like being able to give to building projects. I'm so excited about what they're doing at Springs of Life Camp right now. It just... It thrills my soul, and I'm glad to be a part of it. But my first, my first giving is here at the church. And I promise you, you will never, ever regret it. Not for one minute. We're going to sing 446. Uh, Tammy, if you just want to come, it's a chorus. We're going to sing it through twice. Randall's going to lead us, and then I'm going to pray. Think about what I have preached while you're singing this. Think about the commitment I'm asking you to make as we sing. 446. 